Well, let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And we'll begin reading with verse 15. Ephesians 1, 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of God. Well, we finished our consideration of that one long, can I just say ridiculously long sentence of verse 3 through 14. And if uh, you who love grammar thought that Paul was finished with his run-on sentences, you were mistaken. Because verse 15 through verse 23 is another one of those really big long sentences uh, declaring again and again who we are in Christ, what Christ has done, and His glory. And here it is a prayer specifically, and and being a letter, knowing this is a letter to the Ephesians, we learn a little bit about the audience just in the way Paul speaks to them. Having named all these things, all these spiritual blessings in the previous verses, he comes along and he says, I've heard about two things. I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. And he thanked God for that. And I just can't help but wonder, whenever I read a passage like that, that's what Paul had heard about. And it wasn't that somebody wrote on Facebook that day, hey, the church in Ephesus, they really have faith in the Lord Jesus and and they love all the saints. And Paul said, well, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. No, word traveled in a much different way, a much slower way. And for Paul to have heard that, it really was a significant thing. And I wonder... In our own congregation and in our own community, if you walked out and surveyed the people who live around Simmons Grove uh, and you said, what do you think about that church over on Simmons Grove Church Road? What would they say? Now, some people might say there's a church on Simmons Grove Church Road. There's a Simmons Grove Church Road. I've never heard of such a thing. And that's, that's very possible. But for the people who know we are here, people who know people who go here, what would they say about us? I hope that the Lord would give us grace to be the kind of congregation that the things which are said of us is those people have sincere faith. Not just faith in a generic sense, broad, they're people of faith, but faith in their Lord, Jesus Christ. They have true, genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what I've heard about them besides that? They love all the saints. They love their brothers and sisters. Have you heard about how they treat each other over there? 
the way they love one another. That, that's just a little food for thought. It's not the point of the, the, the text. But it is, a, it is important to think about what our church might be known for. And then to consider the fact that do we thank God regularly for the church? Look at the people who are sitting around you. When is the last time in prayer you just took a moment and thanked God for some of them? Paul's point here in, in this passage, though, is it's a prayer. This is a prayer that we've just read, and, and it's based on a, a therefore. There at the beginning of verse 15, he says, Therefore I also, after I've heard about these things, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So this prayer is based on the spiritual realities, the spiritual blessings of who we are in Christ. That is, that the Father has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we've been predestined to adoption as sons, we've been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, by His blood, we've been forgiven and experienced His grace, and we have this assurance of the Holy Spirit. He is the guarantee that we have of our inheritance that is to come. And so based on all those things, Paul prays for the church. And what is it that he prays for? Verse 17, he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So in short, what is it that Paul prays for? He prays that the Ephesians would have spiritual sight. Spiritual sight. You see, a sad reality is that Christians are, though we are the, the wealthiest people in all the world through the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ, but most of us live our spiritual lives like poor, destitute beggars. Think about your own spiritual life, your own walk in the Lord. If you had to rate yourself on a scale, where would you put yourself? Most of us, and maybe we would think we were being humble in doing, say, well, you know, it could be better. You know, I'm a pastor, so it's my job to ask you. I ask you frequently, how are you doing in your walk with the Lord right now? Tell me, tell me how that's going. And, and most of the time the answer is something like, well, you know, it could always be better. And that's, that's true. It always could. But the, the, the problem is this. We don't recognize who we are and what we have in Christ. We're, we're looking for meaning and we're looking for value in all sorts of things. I mean, you just think about the way we live our lives. We, we shop for stuff we don't need. We entertain a social media audience that doesn't really care about our lives. We, we rush from activity to event so we don't feel like we've missed out on anything or that we've deprived our children of some experience. We numb our minds with entertainment, clean or otherwise. But in reality, that's not who we are. Those things aren't where our, our worth or our value lies. See, the, the reality is we are chosen by God. We are adopted into His family. We are accepted in Christ. We are redeemed through His blood, forgiven of all sins. We are recipients of grace. We are heirs of an unfathomable inheritance. We are sealed and guaranteed by the Holy Spirit, all to the praise of God's glory. Friend, if you are a Christian, this is who you are in Jesus. It's who you are. We have the Holy Spirit. So Paul's praying that we would have something that we is already ours. We have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God available to us. It is your possession in Christ. The problem is we don't experience it. We only need to pray and lay hold of it by faith. Because it is ours. So for the Ephesians, Paul prays specifically that the eyes of their understanding, 
Literally, their heart would be enlightened. That the eyes of their heart would be enlightened. Your heart doesn't have eyes. He's speaking, of course, of your, your inner person. The person you are on the inside, that in your spirit, that you would see who you are in Christ and who He is to you. And so what is it that we need spiritual help seeing? Now, we pray for lost people that God will open their eyes, don't we? We, we all know the song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. And so we recognize that at one time we were blind to spiritual things, that we could not see Jesus, we could not see God, we could not see ourselves for who He is or who we are. And it took a work of God, a supernatural work of God by the Holy Spirit for us to be born again. And when we pray for lost people, we pray, God, open their eyes, let them see you. Let them see their sin. Let them see you and your forgiveness and grace. But did you know that Christians too need to pray that their eyes would be opened? Yes, the Holy Spirit worked in such a way that our eyes were opened so that we could be born again and so that we could see. But so easily we slip back into a natural way of thinking, our human logic, our human reason. And we don't see the things of God as we should. So even now, as Christians born again, we need our eyes opened. Now, what is it that we need spiritual help seeing? What should we be praying for ourselves and for our church that God would open our eyes to see? He gives us a few things here in the passage. The first one there, verse 18, he says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. So let me just give you one word, calling. Calling is often associated with what? Your, your vocation, your, your passions, that thing that you love to do. You know, this is my calling. And we think about our, our actions in that. But when you read the Bible and you look at every time the word calling comes up, he's not talking about things we do. It, it almost always relates to our salvation. To the fact that we've been called to be saved. We've been called as believers. This is an effectual calling. It's not that, that God calls out and He hopes that we'll come, but no, we've seen in the first 14 verses that it is a guaranteed thing. Those whom the Lord calls will come. He has called us out of darkness into light. He's called us out of the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of His Son. We've been called. We've been born again. And notice it is His calling. This isn't something we do for ourselves, anything we can muster up in our own strength. This is God's calling on our lives for us to be saved. He does it. And so he prays that our eyes would be enlightened, that we may know what is not only his calling, but he wants us to know what is the hope of his calling. Now, hope usually is thought of something as uncertain. It's a, a desire or a wish. You know, I hope this happens. I hope that I don't have to wait a long time when we go to the restaurant for lunch today. But I don't know that that's how it's going to be. But when you read of hope in the Word of God, hope is a, a biblical hope is an expectation. It's a confidence. It's something that we know for certain is going to come to pass. And so Paul wants us to know our calling that we have in Him, but he wants us to know the hope of His calling. God's calling on your life is your confident hope. 
Now, have any of you experienced any times in recent time when you have felt hopeless? Surely some of you have. What do you do in those times whenever a worry just plagues you and it won't go away or you've got a stress that you can't seem to manage or even a persistent sin in your life that it seems like it's hopeless and you'll never be able to prevail over this? What do you do? Answer, you pray. Oh God, by the Holy Spirit that is within me, open my eyes to see the hope of your calling. That's what Paul's praying for. Whatever circumstance that comes along in your life that feels hopeless in the moment, you can understand that you have hope in the calling that you have in Jesus Christ. And you just need to ask God to help you see it. So the first word is calling. The second is inheritance. Inheritance. He says there again in in verse 18, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, we talked about this a bit last week, that we have an inheritance in God. You go back to verse 11 there, he says, In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. We have that confidence, and we've, we've covered it already, that we know that when this life comes to an end, that we have an inheritance waiting for us in Him. But has it ever occurred to you, Not only do you have an inheritance in God, but that God has an inheritance in us. God has an inheritance in us. He he, he says here, he has an inheritance in the saints. And it is his inheritance. Friends, if you have been born again, you as God's inheritance are his possession. A prized possession, a treasure to Him. Valued to the extent that Scripture speaks of you as an inheritance. Do you see yourself that way in your relationship to God? Not only His inheritance that He wants us to see, but He wants us to see the riches of the glory of His inheritance. That is, God's people, as God's inheritance, possess riches or glory or the fullness, the abundance, the wealth of dignity and glory and honor. That's who Christians are. Now, this is the opposite of what we see in ourselves in regard to our flesh. We look at our flesh and like Paul, we say, man, the things I don't want to do, that's what I'm doing. The things I do want to do, I can't seem to be able to do. Oh, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? But this is a glory that's not in ourselves. This is rich glory that's not something we have inherently, but it is the glory that is bestowed on us in Christ. He is full. He is abounding with dignity and glory and honor, and we are in Him. He has dignity, glory, and honor, and we are in Him. Therefore, when God the Father looks on us as His inheritance in Christ, He doesn't see our sin, He doesn't see our failures, He doesn't see all the ways we goof up every single day, but He sees the riches of the glory of His inheritance in you, His saints. Amen. We're so slow to believe this, aren't we? At least I am. When we're insulted... (laughs) 
or when we're painfully aware of our, our failures, or when the devil accuses us, and you have those moments where you're, you're very aware of all your sin. Your enemy will capitalize on that and take you down to the dirt. What do you do then? Answer, you pray. God, enlighten my eyes. Let me see the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints. Show me afresh who I am in Jesus. It's already there. It's your possession. You just have to see it. We need eyes to see. So there's calling and there's inheritance. And then third, there's power. Verse 19 he says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? This power speaks to God's strength, his ability. Notice that the power, just like calling and just like inheritance, is his. It isn't something we have in and of ourselves. It's not in our nature and not only does he show his power, but he shows the greatness of his power. And not only does he show the greatness of his power, but he shows the exceeding greatness of his power. He just goes on and on, right? We'll see when we get to chapter 2, verse 10, that we've been called to specific works. He says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But how is it that we are able to do the works that God has called us to do in our own strength? Does he save us and put us on a path and say, get to it, good luck, see you in heaven? No. Praise God that's not the reality. But he does, according to verse, or chapter 3, verse 20, he says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to what? The power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's the power of God that is at work in us that enables us to do all that God has called us to do. We need his power not just to do his will, but to stand against the attacks of the enemy. Again, when we get over to chapter 6, he says just this. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might put on the whole armor of God that you'll be able to stand. Friend, when you, you're trying to do the work of God and the enemy comes against you, whatever form that takes, and, and you're going to have to fight to stand, you cannot muster that strength in yourself. You don't have that power, that ability inherently. But God has that power. And because you are in Christ, He has given you that power, and we simply need to rely on it. We know that we need His power. None of us would deny that. We know that we're weak. We feel it every day. But here's the reality that we don't always see. You have it. You have His power. Because He says that, just that in verse 19 there. He says, His power toward us who believe. Do you believe? Are you a Christian? then the exceeding greatness of God's power is working towards you. It's working in you, in your favor. 
so that you can do and be all that God has called you to be. We have that power. Do you believe it? Are you a child of God? Then you possess God's power to do His will. You possess the power to stand against the devil. It's again, not by your own nature. It's not by your own goodness. But it's by your standing in Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit within you. So then, just like with calling and with inheritance, what do we do when we realize we're weak? Answer, you pray. Oh God, enlighten my eyes. Open my eyes to see your power at work in me, causing me to stand when under attack and enabling me to do everything that you desire. All we have is there. We just need eyes to see it. And you can go down the line of what kind of power this is. How do we know that His power is sufficient? How do we know that He really has power working in us? What kind of power is it? And that's what the rest of verse 20 to 23 is all about. He says, the, His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. Raising somebody from the dead. I don't really know how you gauge power in that way. But I feel like that's, that's pretty big. That's a lot of power. To have Jesus, God in the flesh, to say, I'm going to die, and I'm going to die this certain way, and I'm telling you ahead of time I'm going to die this certain way, and then I'm going to rise from the dead, so that when it happens, you'll believe it. That's a big statement. But then he pulled it off. He did it. The power of the Holy Spirit raised Jesus' dead, rotting body out of the grave. And it is that power, that same power, that rose Jesus from the grave that is at work in you to accomplish all of God's desires for you. It's that power that you have access to to do God's will if we just have eyes to see it. And it's not only that kind of power, but he says when he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. It's the power that caused Jesus to rise from the dead. It's the same power that caused him to ascend back into heaven and to be seated on his throne of authority where he reigns over all creation. God is ruling. Jesus is king. He is in charge. He is sovereign. He has all power and glory and might. And it is available to you, his people, to do his will. It's a shame that when I talk about this stuff, I, I, I almost cringe up a little bit because the prosperity preachers have ruined this kind of talk for us. I'm not talking about you got the kind of power where you can just tell every illness in your body to leave and you can go to the car lot and pick one out and claim it and it's yours. That's not what we're talking about here. I'm talking about genuine power of the Holy Spirit that are given to you in spiritual blessings in Christ. God has promised you that you have hope in your calling. You have His inheritance. You, you are His inheritance. And you have power to do everything that He's called you to do. You have the same power that caused Jesus to rise from the dead. The same power that caused Him to ascend and sit on His throne. And to rule now not only in this age, but in that which is to come. And it's the same power not just that rules over all creation, but that rules over His church even now. He says he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Pop quiz. Whose church is it? It's Jesus' church. 
It ain't your church. I don't care if you've been here for 70 years. You were here when they picked out, some of y'all were here when you picked out the carpet. I heard about that. You've seen a lot. You've seen good and bad. You've put a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of money into this place. But this is not your church. And just to be clear while we're at it, it ain't my church either. I get a microphone, so I'm louder than everybody else. A little bit of authority comes along with that. Get this big fancy wooden desk. People look at me just right. You know, you know how it goes. You, people talk to you however they want. A guy invited me to have a beer with him the other day, and then I asked if I could pray for him, and his total attitude changed. You know how that goes. People put a lot of stock into what the preacher says. But this is not my church. This church belongs to its head. We are the body. He is the head. What's a body without a head? Dead. That's what it is. Useless. Powerless. This is the body of Jesus who is the head of the body. It is His church. And friend, when we submit to Him as our head and we function that way as His body, each member doing its part, friend, we have power to accomplish, not just individually. We have power as a congregation to accomplish and to be everything that God has called us to be. Do you believe that? Now, you might not feel it all the time. You might look and say, well, there's bigger churches. The churches has got fancier equipment and more money and more people and better preacher and all kinds of things. But friends, that's not where power is. Our power is in the God who called us, who made us His inheritance, and who granted it by the Holy Spirit. We belong to Him. It's His church. This is what we do. We simply need to pray. Here's the, here's the big idea, the, the, the main point here. If you want spiritual sight to see your spiritual blessings in Christ, you must pray. If you want spiritual sight, and that's what it takes, to see your spiritual blessings, can I say it this way? You only have to pray. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Some of you read this in your discipleship group plan this week. Paul says this in verse 9. He said, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them. <laughs> In one verse, he says, we can't imagine it, we can't see it, and we say, okay, well, we can't know everything that God wants to do. But then the very next verse, he says, God has revealed them. To whom? To us, through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So you've got a couple of options right here. When you read a passage like this and you hear uh, things like this said to you from the front of the church, you can, one, be content with being as far as you've come in your walk with the Lord and just cruise. Now, yes, you were given faith to believe and be saved by the working of the Holy Spirit when you were born again. But our tendency 
is to fall back into the wisdom of man and to dependence on the flesh. That's just, that's just our flesh. We, we slide right back into that. And you can be content. You can hear this. You can say, okay, that's great. Good. He's going to finish a little bit early. We'll hit, the, we'll hit lunch and it'll be fine. Or you can go forward by depending on the Holy Spirit and simply asking him to show you the things that are real. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ already. I'm going to say that a whole lot more. Just give you a heads up. You already have every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. Amen? Amen. The Holy Spirit will help you to see what God has provided and give you faith to appropriate those blessings if you will simply ask Him. So it comes down to this. Are you content with the way things are and your spiritual life just going on as it has been for years, kind of stale and dry? Or you can say, I want to live my life fully dependent and yielded to the work of the Holy Spirit. I want to be able to see the blessings that are mine in Christ and appropriate them and live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you see, if you do that as an individual and, and all the other individuals around you do that, you know what happens? You don't just have an individual that's living according to the power of the Spirit, but you have a church that is living and functioning according to the power of the Spirit. And who, does anybody, can I ask for a show of hands? Who doesn't want that? Keep, thank you. I would just go ahead and call you out and throw you out while we were at it. I mean, who wouldn't want that? It seems like a no-brainer. Unless your eyes have never been opened to the work of the work of God by the Spirit. You see, if you're lost, I pray that God will open your eyes for the first time to see yourself in your sin and your offense to God and the judgment that is to come in hell that's just and right and you deserve. But also pray that he'll open your eyes to see the glory of God's grace in Jesus who came and lived a sinless life in your behalf, laid down his life willingly to make payment for your sin in his own death, to pay for your sin with his own blood. Then he was buried and rose from the dead on the third day. He'll forgive your sins and give you new life and you can walk in this new life in the spirit. So here's a really practical step for you Christians in the room. You ready? Here's homework. Mark Ephesians 1 in your Bible. When you have your quiet time with God this week, I'm assuming that Christians have a quiet time with God. Come to Ephesians 1 for at least the next seven days till we meet again. And make this prayer your own. Y'all who are here on Wednesday, we're talking about praying the Bible. This is, a, this is a good, easy place to start because it's already a prayer. You just make it your own. You say, God, it is my prayer that you would give to me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in, in knowledge of you. Enlighten the eyes of my heart 
Show me that I may know what is the hope of your calling, what is the riches of the glory of your inheritance in me. Show me the greatness of your power toward us who believe. Ask God to open your eyes. Ask him to give you spiritual sight. And see what God does in your own heart this week. This is ours. You just have to lay hold of it. How? By faith. Would you pray? As we bow our heads, I think we need a time of quiet prayer this morning to search your own heart and to see where you stand with the Lord. Are you living your life in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you fully yielded to His control? And are you experiencing the blessings that are, are already yours in Christ? If not, ask Him to give you eyes to see them. If you're lost, repent of your sins. Put your trust in Jesus and be saved.